Meet Dr. Libby Gruner, one of a University of Richmond's English professors. Even though she teaches various classes in writing, she does not believe in proper grammar. You see, enforcing rules of grammar are unfair. They favor the privileged and oppress the so-called disadvantage. The other thing is that correctness, as we term it, does influence how one is read. Also, a lot of it is very class-based, so that mm. there, there are forms of expression that English teachers have marked as wrong for generations that are perfectly acceptable in certain racial communities, in certain class communities, and that are transparently understood by everybody who reads them. Grammar, of course, is racist. As long as she can decipher what her student is trying to say, no matter how sloppily written, it's okay. And so it's not really a good use of, of my time or my students' time for me to do a lot of that work for them. She says she does not have to teach proper grammar because her students can use Grammarly, an artificial intelligence tool, to do their writing for them. When you do corrections or when you do comments, do you literally point out split infinitives, passive voice, lack of serial comma, beginning a sentence with, you know, not putting a comma and a conjunction between two independent clauses? Or is that like old school and now it's all about expression and you don't have to worry about strunk and white anymore? There's this thing called Grammarly. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. So you can get a lot of that kind of technical support, the sort of grammar and punctuation and spelling support actually online from the device on which you're writing. She also doesn't believe in grading her students' assignments. Gruner was featured in the 2022 autumn edition of the University of Richmond magazine. The article and her thoughts on ungrading are linked below. Bruner says she doesn't focus on grades because she hates grading. She wants students to focus on her feedback and wants to be inclusive. Apparently, grading must be eliminated because it is not inclusive, whatever that means. One always has to question the semantics of left-wing professors. They use flowery language and these pseudo-academic buzzwords so prevalent in the academy. But if one pays attention, one can pick up on code words. So let me tell you what she really believes and what her real agenda is. Listen to Gruner discuss how inclusive pedagogy has inspired her and her teaching philosophy. I began working on inclusive pedagogy much more recently, maybe over the last five years, and learning about different ways of making my classes more equitable and more inclusive for all my students. Pointy-headed academics love this word, pedagogy. They use it constantly as if some sort of goose-stepping obedience to the ivy tower. The term means the method and practice of teaching and comes to us from Greek where it meant to lead a boy. Hmm the same root word as in pedophile. 
Inclusive pedagogy comes out of critical pedagogy, which was the life's work of Brazilian neo-Marxist educator Paulo Freire. Freire was inspired by the Frankfurt School and their teachings of critical theory, a Marxist anti-capitalist social ideology. Freire felt that there could be no true pedagogy unless it had been stripped of our culture's oppressive ways, and that would be impossible until everyone developed critical consciousness. Freire defines critical consciousness as the ability to intervene in reality in order to change it. For Freire, this means eradicating the so-called oppression inherent in capitalism and rejecting societal norms. Translation, be a Marxist and an activist. In addition to Miss Gruner, decades of other people have been inspired by Freire, the modern vanguard of inclusive pedagogy. Many of the people who ascribe to this movement are even more radical than Freire, like Bell Hooks, who wrote Teaching to Transgress, Education as the Practice of Freedom. I see a part of Beyonce that is in fact anti-feminist, um, that is assaulting, that is a terrorist, um, in the sense of, um, especially in terms of the impact on young girls. Then there is Peter McLaren, who wrote Pedagogy of Insurrection, Che Guerra, Paul Freire, and the Pedagogy of Revolution. McLaren goes so far as to say that educators need to be like Che Guerra. One professor out of the University of Irvine described the book as, once again, Peter McLaren has asked scholars and educators to confront our own political limitations and imagine the unimaginable. Educational revolution is achievable. If you were educated at the University of Richmond, you likely don't know that Che Guerra was running concentration camps modeled after Auschwitz. There would be a Marxist-driven pedagogy, uh, pedagogy driven by Marxist humanism, which is the critical pedagogy I've tried to help develop. And humanists can be part of that. Humanists are going to be part of that. They're going to be telling those stories. They're going to, they're going to be um, bringing to bear their, their critical theory and their critical lens on that. Marxist humanism, which is the critical pedagogy I've tried to help develop. I hear a dog whistle, it's ringing in my ear. It's the kind of whistle only idiots can hear. Hey! Listen to how Gruner describes collaboration. Look for the code words. These leftist professors cannot hide their political allegiances. The notion that actually none of our intellectual product is, is actually our, our sole um, product anyway. And, and so surfacing, first of all, that co-labor and, and then trying to find pathways to, to be more um, open to true collaboration. Ah, yes. If someone read my writings and gave feedback, it is no longer my sole work. 
Her property is not her property. It must be shared. But has she ever shared her intellectual property with anyone? I always say that that as a humanist, I don't really play well with others um, as a scholar. And, and I have been actually rethinking that lately. So, so there's nothing on my Vita that looks like collaboration. Every, everything on my Vita is single author. That said, none of it, I think, would have been possible without, and I liked you breaking that word up, the co-labor of many other people. She's an expert on collaboration, but hasn't ever done it. These academic types warp language so much that collaboration is just another way to say activism. Just so it would have to be a different kind of collaboration, right? It would, it would have to be a collaboration um, that that moved towards um, certainly things like activism in in the children's literature space, which I think there there's quite a bit of. And another way to brainwash and indoctrinate kids into critical pedagogy. And I think there are really interesting projects to be done in children's literature and childhood studies that have to do with uh, readers, for example, child readers, and um, not just from a sort of social scientific perspective, although that's part of it, um, but, but actually sort of working with young readers and listening to their responses um, and developing, you know, new ways of thinking about reading um, and about literature out of that, um, that would, those would be collaborative projects, both with the children and, um, and as researchers. Um, and humanists can be part of that. Humanists are going to be part of that. They're going to be telling those stories. They're going to, they're going to be, um, bringing to bear their, their critical theory and their critical lens on that. But I think we're still not quite there. I mean, I feel like that's a, that's a step that a lot of people aren't quite taking yet. She teaches children's literature, but acknowledges she doesn't like children's literature. It's far more acceptable for me, a woman who specializes in children's literature, a traditionally female ghetto, Clearly, she sees her mission as one of activism and to indoctrinate children to swallow the Palo Frere worldview. Well, this that is why really... I study children's literature, right? Because these books form us in ways that we're not even paying attention to at the time. Gruner is active in the Children's Literary Association. She was even their president. This group gives awards and grants away. Administering grants, fellowships, and scholarships, and awards. Um, so we give um, book awards, edited book awards, and um, one of our signature awards, uh, the Phoenix Award, which is given to 
both a children's book and a children's picture book that did not get any awards 20 years earlier. So that's kind of a nice test of time award that, that the association gives annually. But to whom? Authors who, like Gruner, have a left-wing neo-Marxist agenda. That's who. To demonstrate what this group is all about, Gruner and her Children's Literary Association colleagues attend left-wing protests together. It is always so funny to me that these older progressive white women think they are Angela Davis or Asata Shakur. Does she wake up every morning and recite Fred Hampton's I am a revolutionary speech? With the last words on my lips, that I am a revolutionary. And you're going to have to keep on saying that. You're going to have to say that I am a proletarian. I am the people. I'm not the pig. You've got to make a distinction. And the people are going to have to attack the pigs. The people are going to have to stand up against the pigs. That's what the pastors are doing. That's what the pastors are doing all over the world. These types always come from rich families, but think they are revolutionaries. Despite thinking she is some weather underground revolutionary, she posts the trappings of her affluent life on Instagram, where all can see her historic home with green granite countertops, oriental rugs, and all her travels abroad. Here in Virginia, We've had some controversies in regard to education. One of the more sickening controversies centered on multiple high schools in Northern Virginia, not informing students that they were national merit scholars. This meant they missed out on opportunities for scholarships and couldn't list being a national merit scholar on college applications. The administration of these schools did this because they didn't want to hurt the feelings of other students and make them feel dumb. Listen to Gruner discussing which students don't do well in her ungraded classes. That's a really interesting question. So I uh, there there can be disadvantages for students who don't fully understand or take advantage of the opportunities that ungrading affords them. So there, there are students who have always been good at school and they, they are rewarded for their, um, for their abilities, they're, you know, they write good papers. They maybe don't write great papers, but they write good papers, good enough papers. And those students aren't going to progress a lot in, in an ungraded class, perhaps, unless they want to. Um, and they, they may find themselves sort of wondering where they stand because they're used to sort of conventional markers of success. She's talking about the smartest students. She doesn't want to say it. She's more concerned about students who can't self-regulate their workload. The other student who can be disadvantaged is the student who is um, not, uh, how do I put this? 
it's not that they're not a self-starter, but that they haven't quite figured out the how to move from, okay, I'm getting interested in this to, and now I have to get it done by this date. And <laughs> that kind of self-regulation is not like, we don't actually teach that, right? All, all we do is say, you got to do this by this date. You are in college. You're going to the University of Richmond, a so-called junior Ivy. You've had 13 years of homework. Of course, they have been taught this skill. The funny part of all this is she's such a know-it-all that she can't help but share that she knows high school GPA is a better measure of success than college grades. High school GPA is a better predictor of performance in college. We've known that for years. There's some irony there, the ungrader. I'm aware. I'm I'm aware of that. That just goes to show that the conventional metrics, as Gruner puts it, really do work. And her whole thesis is just wrong. And a shield for her laziness and activism. I am not a particularly goal-oriented person. Behind all the buzzwords, she believes that tough standards and accountability are oppressive pedagogy. She's a radical ideologue. Grammar is racist and needs to be decolonized. How does one decolonize grammar? Easy. Just don't teach it. Health and nutrition? They're racist and imperialistic. Diet culture is toxic. Diet culture is part of a colonial agenda. It's a settler practice. Being skinny is just a Western beauty ideal. Are you an American and an inheritor of rugged individualism? Or are you part of the intersectional, constantly oppressed proletariat? They're reading Fanon. They're reading de Beauvoir. They're reading Judith Butler. um, They're reading Edward Said's Orientalism. Um, In other words, they're reading all of these theories about the construction of selfhood through the lenses of race and ethnicity, gender and sexuality, and intersectional identities. If you've been watching us for a while, you see some familiar faces. Decolonizing the curriculum. It all goes back to Paulo Freire. It's not about enhancing learning and encouraging student growth. It's all about churning out more progressive shock troops. That's the University of Richmond today. What's the basis for knowledge? Who has the authority to implement it? In what way does it speak to a particular kind of future? Because all education is an introduction in some way to the future. It's a struggle over what kind of future you want for young people. It's a struggle over the kinds of subjectivities that would make that future possible. It's a struggle over notions of narrative that students can relate to and in some way understand so they can see education as being fundamental to who they are and how they relate to the world. Folks, tune in next time as I interview someone who has been in a 400-level college seminar course focused around Paulo Freire, where he got to grade himself. We will even show you what it looks like inside Gruner's classroom. And of course, I'll have more fun tidbits to share about this activist professor. In the meantime, to learn more of the radical campus culture at the University of Richmond, go to www.urwoke.net. That's the letter urwoke.net. And if you like this video, 
then you will like the videos on the You Are Woke site. Thank you. There's this thing called Grammarly. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. So you can get a lot of that kind of technical support, the sort of grammar and punctuation and spelling support actually online from the device on which you're writing.